Thank you for listening to The Great Northern Podcast. The Great Northern celebrates our cold, creative winters through 10 days of diverse programming that invigorate mind and body. In an era of changing climate that threatens our signature season, we seek to create community, inspire action, and share the resilient spirit of the North with the world. For this episode, we drop into a conversation between Anthony Taylor and Carrie Leibowitz. Anthony Taylor is the Senior Vice President of Equity in the Outdoors for the YMCA of the North, a leading nonprofit dedicated to strengthening communities through youth development, healthy living, and social responsibility. Carrie Leibowitz is a health psychologist, speaker, and writer. Her research, writing, speaking, and teaching aims to help us understand and harness the power of our mindsets to improve our health and well-being. Specifically, she has written about wintertime mindset. Carrie will be hosting a workshop as part of the Great Northern on Saturday, January 29th at Silverwood Park. The YMCA of the North will be partnering with the Great Northern for events on January 29th and February 5th. Visit thegreatnorthernfestival.com for more info. Please enjoy Anthony and Carrie's discussion, which explores some of the contours that shape the work of the Great Northern. Hi, I'm Carrie Leibowitz. Hello, I'm Anthony Taylor. Um, hi, I'm really excited to finally talk to you. Yeah, it's really good to meet you too. I, I'm uh, excited, uh, and, and I love Norway, so that's a whole nother thing. Really? Have you spent time there? I have. I actually, um, which is one of my obscure past lives, I was in the beauty business for a long time. And uh, we actually exported a product um, to Europe through a partner in Denmark. And so um, the, we would, every six months, I would do a trip. I'd land in Aarhus, Denmark, and then travel to Sweden, Norway, uh-huh, uh-huh. Germany, Turkey, do this big circuit. And um, it was actually amazing to land in Norway and realize that the Norwegians were traveling across this country in 1860 or something, mm-hmm. and they got to Minnesota, and they said, I'm home. We yeah. can stop now. You know? <laughs> they did. I know. It's really the Minnesota-Norway connection is really fascinating to me. Yeah, I, I, and I didn't realize how strong it was. I mean, the people in Norway know the legacy of Minnesota. Um, that's why the St. Olaf and, you know, I mean, there's just so much here. So it was actually really beautiful to see that uh, connection. Um, there and really to see um, the culture, I think that's the other thing that in America. I don't. I say this all in America. Sometimes we actually get stuck in the idea of race to the extent that we forget that the that many of these communities that we now call white actually are steeped in a very particular cultural reality, and you see it um, in Norway for sure, and you see it. In, and there is no Scandinavia. Mm -hmm, (laughs) right you know what i mean it was very amazing to spend time in denmark and it felt very different than sweden feel very different than norway and feel very different than finland right and we absolutely and and so it was really wonderful so i am uh very excited to meet you as well yeah that's amazing i i this is something i think about because you know i think about the communities and how um which communities are considered white has sort of changed over time. I'm Jewish and sort of the Jewish community has a long (laughs) history of, you know, being white and being privileged and also being oppressed and, you know, having a lot of struggles. And so I see that there and I have a confession to make, which is that I've actually never been to Minnesota. And so I'm just really excited to come for the great Northern and get to see for myself and experience and sort of, I'm really 
eager and keen to see some of the sort of Norwegian Minnesota overlap and see some of the parallels in culture and treatment of winter that you know I observed in Norway and see what that looks like in Minnesota. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I'm. I'm really. I'm looking forward to your observations of it because I do. Um, one of the some of the work I've done historically, particularly with the Lopet Foundation, one of the things I I used to tease them about is that they didn't realize it, but just their commitment to winter and to Nordic skiing and that is all cultural reclamation. Mm-hmm, like, and mm-hmm. and I and I really, when you're here, um, what you'll see is that there is. A, a strong tradition of uh, the way that we uh, enjoy sauna and people. And that is the one word all Minnesotans correct. <laughs> if you say sauna, you will get corrected. You'll get so right? sauna. <laughs> Don't say sauna because they will okay. be on. Um, but even that is going through a resurgence where the 30s, the, th- the, the young people in the 30s, especially 30s, 40s, are really rediscovering uh, the ritual of sauna. Uh, the ritual of of using that as a way to connect to nature. It's not a box in a basement, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so it actually, I think, I think it'll be exciting to get your um, impressions of the way that people are, are are reclaiming those traditions. I'm really excited about that because that's something I've thought and talked about a lot. That here in the states we don't have as much of those winter traditions, right? Of the sauna, of the, you know, uh, winter swimming, of the gathering outside around bonfires or inside around fireplaces, and even like the luminaries that they do, you know, on um, Lake Lopet, you know, that feels very Scandinavia to me to have that light in the darkness is something that I really noticed in my time in Norway. And I think that, you know, Minnesota in some ways seems like this place that the rest of the states can look for, for winter inspiration and winter culture, um, that I think there's a lot of that there from that, that heritage and that lineage. Well, and, and, and actually it's interesting that you say that too, because one of the, some of the work that, I mean, for me, a lot of it is around this idea of nature outdoors and adventure. And I think that when people think of nature outdoors and adventure in America, because of work cycle and because of school cycle, we think of summer as mm-hmm, a time mm-hmm. to connect to nature and as a time to do that. But I think that what I really realized about w- winter offers its own opportunities. You know what I mean? And I think that that's really how I really think about it a lot. And that um, it's it, it, one, uh, the connection to outdoors, nature and adventure is critical for us, right? That mm-hmm. is for our well being. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that one of the things um, that I saw in Norway was that it is just a fabric in the way that they live. And that's yes. what's really different, right? Um, and so because they, if you are, st- if you're connected to nature, then what you do is you live seasonally. And we used to do that, right? We used mm-hmm, to live seasonally. Mm-hmm. And the rituals follow that seasonality. And I think that that is one of the uh, the problems of kind of American modernity, if you, you know, to sound like an academic or something, right? <laughs> um, but, um, but, you know, that's part of it, you know, that we strongly and broadly commit to we can have asparagus in December, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? And, yes, um, yes. right. And so what we, we, we don't live seasonally in a way where we can realize the full opportunity of, of really living connected and aligned with nature that way. So I think that's, you know, part of what we're always trying to get people to think about. Yeah, you are totally speaking my language. These are things I talk about a lot. When I talk about sort of cultivating a more positive wintertime mindset and in my work and my workshops, 
I talk about how people can see winter as a season of opportunity, exactly what you're saying. Because I think in the States, we often think of winter as being a limiting time of year. We think of all the things we can't do, right? You know, you can't go to the beach, can't picnic, think that you can't hike or spend time outdoors in nature, although you and I know that that's not the case. And what I saw in Norway was such a big part of them enjoying and embracing the winter was finding the winter opportunities that just as there are lots of things that you can do in summer that you can only do in summer, there are also a lot of things you can do in winter (laughs) that you can only do in winter. And whether they're, you know, I know we are focused on the outdoors and, you know, cross country skiing or activities related to being out in the snow and out in nature. But even sometimes I talk about doing things indoors, right? About like how it's a season to embrace times of being cozy, times of being restful, warming and healing foods and soups and stews and rituals that we can find the opportunities and the things that make winter special. And I think this idea of seasonality is also really profound that, you know, growing up in New Jersey, I found that we just tried to treat the winter as if it was any other season, right? I would just throw a coat on, you know, over my regular clothes, jeans and sneakers go outside, freeze my butt off, be uncomfortable, and also just not acknowledge the fact that, yeah, there was less daylight and that the the year was different. And, and I think also, you know, I'm a psychologist and we tend to almost pathologize living seasonally, right? That if you're more tired in the winter, if you right. feel less social, people see that as a problem rather than saying, no, this is me living in tune with nature that in the winter I I rest and I contemplate and I do sort of slow movement and adventure activities. And in the summer, I have maybe more energy. And that's part of me sort of being in tune with my environment and not something that is necessarily problematic. Right. Well, and I, and you know, when you, the, the approach, and I, I think this is, uh, you know, something that's really, is that the approach that people take to, winter is this something i can dominate see so you know i think about this idea of this of the approach right how what's our philosophical approach to things and when when you believe the philosophical approach is i can must i can push through this i can dominate it i can control and dominate nature then what you do is you decide that right that that's what it is winter i can suffer through it i can beat it i all i need is hand warmers and this and i'll do you know there's all these strategies you do rather than realizing that our goal is always maintaining balance that really you know nature um and 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 the seasons give us cues on a way to live and when you decide that what i'm going to try to do is live in harmony with nature you 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 end your day differently right you you just mm-hmm. you realize right the shorter the shortness of a day is a cue on mm-hmm. how you might want to live right uh when you live seasonally um and as we talk about people gardening uh, again, as you talk about soups and the type of food that you will eat and when you will eat and what you and you use it as an opportunity for increased communion. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it is it is really um, a very different season. And I think that although we make it about the activity of skiing, I think that's also very easy to do. Right. It's just, mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll just make it about the activity. And if we turn it into exercise, I can get through anything. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that the people that um, that I um, and, you know, see, really love skiing, really do embrace the full season. 
Mm-hmm. Um, they really see it, like you, as you said, this is an opportunity for adventures that I can only have in the winter. Um, mm-hmm. There's terrain that I will only see. I will only stand on the lake in January. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and and I think that I think that those cues um, around how we live, around the way that we nurture our relationships, the way we nurture our bodies, um, it lays out a lot of information. I think even in terms of of how we use the body right um actively to to be to get through this season and um and again i i really agree with you that 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 it is um and i'm a lay psychologist so (laughs) just so so you know um but i do find that that um people who do find activities and who do see who do find those again those opportunities that only exist during winter that creates a, just a much more level emotional state for them, right? Yes. They don't um, experience those um, same downloads and they don't feel like they're suffering or sacrificing and, and they don't make their trip to Mexico the highlight of winter, right? right, um, right. There's, there's really a whole season of it. So I think, uh, I think it's, it's really instructive for us to, to help people think about it that way. Right. And I think this idea of dominating is also this idea of sort of pushing away or trying to banish winter, right? You know, so many of us, I think, you know, say, oh, it's dark outside. Let me turn on all the lights in my house. But what they do in Scandinavia is the opposite, right? They turn the lights low. They light candles. They use lamps and they invite the darkness in and they create an atmosphere that is only possible to create when it's dark outside, when it's winter outside. Whereas, you know, if it's summer and it's bright and it's sunny outside, you can't have that, you know, candlelight dinner or that low light. And so really people think that they want to, you know, make it as bright as possible to push away the darkness, but actually these cultures are showing us that actually the best way is to embrace the darkness and almost invite it in. Um, I'm wondering if you get resistance when you talk to people, right, about adventuring in winter or try to sort of expand their view of, you know, nature as something that happens 365 days a year that you can appreciate differently. It's something that I feel in my work, I see it being really transformative and I see something I teach in some of my classes where I encourage students to do a winter exercise of bundling up and going outside for a walk in the winter, in the dark, in the rain, in the snow. And there's almost always this moment of resistance of not wanting to do it and then doing it and finding that it's a lot more enjoyable than I thought it would be. And I wonder if you encounter anything similar. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, people people um, believe that cold is dangerous. There, there's mm. an aspect of it, the approach where like this idea that one in Minnesota, you know, Minnesotans wait till the coldest day of winter to call their friends in Phoenix anyway. Right. It's that kind of, <laughs> you know, so there's this thing where we do think about it that way. And a lot of the communities I work with, I'm very focused on communities of color, immigrant communities, mm-hmm. um, especially. And so there's a way where we've talked about um, winter as dangerous and mm-hmm. and I think that that's part of it. So part of what I really find um, as a as a tool, not just uh, around winter, but really around life, is that our bodies really actually equip us with all the tools we need. So when mm-hmm. we uh, embrace winter and understand that the body heats itself, right? Mm-hmm. To understand that 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 mobility creates, you know, heat. Um, mm-hmm. That motion creates emotion. I mean, you know, it's that. It, it, and I think that those. Are things I do so I do like what you do is I trick someone into an outdoor activity um, with the right jacket 
right. right, with the right amount of activity so that they experience themselves overheating outdoors. Mm. It is it is it is such a a mind-blowing activity for mm-hmm, someone to mm-hmm. be out on a day they perceived as too cold to go out and find themselves unzipping a jacket mm-hmm. or taking off gloves, right? So helping people experience that. And I, and again, the, the, the body, and I think that's, again, what we understand is, right, really our bodies are designed to work in all mm-hmm. of these temperatures um, and that we're equipped with what we need. And so it's just a matter of the right knowledge. And then being very conscious of helping people create some new positive emotional connections. I think that's what I really understand the work sometimes is when I take, you know, I'll take um, uh, a Venezuelan um, immigrant family or an African immigrant family uh, on their first winter experience and watch them really go through experience of overheating and it just blows their mind. And and now they have some new connections to it, right? Yep. Right. Uh, And like you said, I take them, don't take them skiing on the very, that's not it right? It's something different, but it is standing around a fire. You know, it is telling stories together, getting to know each other over those moments and those emotional connections become anchored in the season. And that, that seems to work very well. Yeah. I think it's one of those things. It's very difficult to just convey, right? People really need to experience it. They really need to go out and try it for themselves. And I think this idea of winter as dangerous is it's so insightful. You know, I don't want to discount, right, that some, you know, super freezing temperatures or if you're in really remote places, of course, you have to take precautions. But I think we do have this narrative, right, that the cold will make you sick or that, you know, it's not okay to be out in the cold. And the narrative in Norway, at least, and I think in a lot of Scandinavia, is so different. They actually have this belief that being out in the cold is really healthy for you, so much so that they will take babies and put them in strollers, wrap them up in these little, like they're super insulated, almost like a baby sleeping bag and leave them outside to nap as the snow is falling because there's this belief that it's healthy for the baby to be exposed to cold air, that it's healthy for the baby to breathe that in and that they sleep more deeply when they are outside warm and safe where it's really cold. And I think for me, also a lot of this comes from if you don't grow up doing adventurous things or spending a lot of time in nature or spending a lot of time outdoors in winter, then you it cements that sort of belief or that mindset that, you know, winter is dangerous. And so it takes us a little while to unlearn that as adults, whereas, you know, Norwegian children are taught from a very young age, outdoor, what they call, they call them friluftsliv, which is the Norwegian term for open air life, which is a really important cultural concept in Norway. And they call them sort of friluftsliv kindergartens, where the kids spend 80% of their time outdoors. And this is not in a place where the weather is often that good. You know, it's cold, it's wet, it's blustery, it's gray. And so I think, you know, it's such a part of the upbringing there. Um, and something that we don't all get in our upbringing here, especially if you're from different parts of the world where you don't even have the opportunity to experience winter because it doesn't get cold. Well, and, and, and what you, what you're describing is, is, it it really is very interesting because what I am seeing in parents and parents are discovering this is that, you know, um, the, uh, the, the opportunities that we're talking about in terms of outdoors are really opportunities around, uh, human development. Right. I mean, it, it, it just it sounds lofty when you say it, but I but I really do know 
that when we talk about outdoors and we talk about the opportunities of winter and cold weather and these things, it really does uh, anchor you in the in the idea of agency, building community, situational awareness, environmental sensitivity, empathy. Um, that these adventures and these these experiences that we create for people are really about that. It's it's really about self discovery. And mm-hmm. and more and more parents are beginning in this country to understand. Now they, we don't have a good name for it because that's not the American way. We got to market everything. <laughs> but but I will tell you, if you look at what is happening in terms of education and youth, what you see is an incredible connection to Montessori education. Mm-hmm, that is directly mm-hmm. related to philosophy of the way nature fits in a child's life. Waldorf education, directly related to the way that people believe a, a, a you know nature and nature-based experiences and natural. A, pr- a stage, stage appropriate learn. You know what I mean? Yeah. These are yeah. communities that are connected to the seasons. You know, we see the same thing in Nature Brace pre- Preschool. The work I'm doing at the YMCA, we're literally yeah. opening nature based preschool experiences because more and more parenting, parents and communities are realizing that the benefits of nature relative to youth development and childhood development is really foundational. But that's true for all of us. And I think that's mm-hmm, the thing mm-hmm. that I try to get people to realize is that philosophy we have for children is the same philosophy we have for adult development. And um, and, and it works. Um, it does impact our health to be in the sun in the winter. And I, I don't, last week in Minnesota, it was like five degrees and sunny. And I was telling people, bundle up and get your butt outside. Those mm-hmm. are the most beautiful days, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, five degrees, 10 degrees, sunny, um, our wonderful, wonderful days. And so uh, I, I think that we're we're starting to turn the curve, but, you know, we turn everything <laughs> into <laughs> something we can sell. So we have to, right. we have to get away from that. And it's still an uphill battle. I mean, I was, I'm in New Jersey right now and it was, we had a cold snap this weekend and it was, you know, in the twenties and uh, I forced my family to go on a walk and it was drizzling outside and cold and nobody wanted to do it. And in the middle of it, I turned to my brother and I was like, isn't this nicer than you thought it would be? And he was like, I was just going to say like, you were right. Like this is so nice. (laughs) But I, I think that the points that you're making are, are really profound because I think a lot of the focus is on sort of exercise and movement and physical fitness. And those things are great and really important for sure, but it's so much bigger than that, right? It's also about our emotional well-being, our connection to each other and the way that spending time outdoors with someone bonds us in a different kind of way, connection to ourselves and self-discovery, agency, especially for going out in the winter, you know, you feel robust and vital and a little bit like you can take on more challenges after some time outdoors in the winter and there's all of these sort of social emotional components to doing things outdoors in the winter connecting with nature having adventures that go beyond the physical benefits for sort of movement and exercise which are also great but I think (laughs) tend to get sort of the you know the lion's share of the reasoning for why you should do it and I also think it's more compelling to people, you know, everybody, yes, wants to be healthy, wants to be fit, but that's a, it's, it's hard to put your finger on. If you say, if you spend 30 minutes outside in the morning, you're going to have a better day. You're Mm going to be nicer to your family. You're going to be less cranky. You'll be better able to deal with frustrations at work. It's that quick. It can happen that, that fast. I think that's actually much 
more motivating and empowering for people than like, you know, you'll be healthy long term, which is great, but sort of hard to measure. Well, and, and, you know, at the same time, I'm going to say it's very easy for us to put our finger on it, right? That the foundation mm-hmm. of good health actually is in our emotional well-being, that, the, that our physical mm-hmm. well-being is a reflection of that. And that's one of the things that I really see in Norway, in Finland, in Sweden, in Denmark, um, is a greater sense of balance, a greater sense of connection to nature. And I believe it shows up in their physical health and the way that we eat. We, you know, we're not feeding our emotions with food, so to speak. And, um, and, and so the, the way that you put ritual into the fabric of your life, that's part of this. And I think for us, when we think about winter, when I think about winter, it is a symbol of that idea, right? Of, of, of mm-hmm. surrender, not as a loss, but as an act of willful understanding of our situation and a way to maximize it. And, and so then we're not you know, we are more optimistic and, and, and we don't always mm-hmm. associate optimism with winter. Um, but really winter is, is the ultimate space for optimism. And so, uh, so yeah, everything is back <laughs> into blooms. It's the time for regrowth and gathering and putting down roots that's and it, all of so. those things. Well, anyway, well, thank you. It was really, really great to meet you. And I look forward to you. It was great to And when you come to Minnesota, I, I, we, I got you. We're going to get out and have a great time. <laughs> great. Thank you. I was going to say, I hope that we get a chance to chat more when I'm in town. And I would love to continue well, our conversation. So. And I just think, you know, I'm very inspired yeah. by the work that you're doing. And, uh, yeah, it's great to get it's a chance to, to chat you. with you. For a full schedule of events or to make a donation to The Great Northern, visit our website at www.thegreatnorthernfestival.com. Your contribution will allow The Great Northern to continue seeking new perspectives on the elements that make this region unique, while highlighting what we stand to lose if our climate continues to warm. Support for The Great Northern is generously provided by sponsors including the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, McKnight Foundation, Askov Finlayson, Minneapolis Foundation, Spotify, Arts Midwest, Greater MSP, Excel Energy, Fat Tire Beer, Polestar Minneapolis, City of St. Paul Cultural Star Program, Carlson Family Foundation, M.A. Mortensen Company, Vikra Distillery, Sand Valley, Deed, Meet Minneapolis, Faribault Woolen Mill Company, Minneapolis Club, Renaissance Minneapolis Hotel, The Depot, Minnesota Public Radio, Sahan Journal, Caribou Coffee, Quebec Government Office in Chicago, Quincy Hall Crave Catering, REI Co-op, Villa Albertine, the French Consulate, GIST, and the St. Paul Hotel, along with community partners and individual donors.